0: Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ, and welcome to the Innocence Redeemed Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and the title of today's episode is What is a Refining and Why? This subject will likely be at least two episodes just due to all the examples and scripture I'm going to pack into it. And if it would help you, I would recommend taking notes on the verses as I reference so that you can look them up independently in your own time. I will be quoting from the New Living Translation and the New King James. But as always, I encourage you to use whichever translation works best for you. And if you're new to Innocent Redeemed, just so you know, I use these translations more often because the words are easier to pronounce and lighter on the ears when providing understanding for those who may be new to their walk or not familiar with the pronunciations in the King James version of the word. All right, so many of you are undergoing strenuous tests of your faith at the moment, or you've entered a wilderness. And it's very important you understand the reasons the Lord is testing you and refining you. In the end, you'll understand the many sins he desires to help you overcome. And it's my prayer that by the end of this podcast, after I've given you the examples, it will help you to understand what the Lord is doing in your life. And this will help you so, you know, you won't complain about it, but rather see the mercy that is in the love of Jesus and work with him rather than against him. Those of you who know the book of John and have studied it know that Jesus gives us many messages of hope. And one such message the Lord gave us was John 16 33, when he said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And folks, I've mentioned that many times, that he's overcome the world, and that's how he'll help us overcome things. But as many of you know, Jesus went through many trials, and he went through a trip in the wilderness, and he overcame them all. And so it's because he overcame the world that he will help you to submit to his refining and overcome any struggles you have during the refining process. And I can speak to this having gone through it in my wilderness. And also, let me just say that none of us are ever done being refined. There's always an area that needs work, and in our walk with the Lord, there's always room for improvement. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are in your faith walk, or how highly you regard yourself, and I say that because there are many who believe they do no wrong, which, by the end of this podcast, I will demonstrate otherwise. Now for a refresher on this, we look at 1 John 1, verses 5-10. through 10. This is the message which we have heard from the Lord and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Keep that in mind with the fellowship there, because later on I'm going to be getting into ways that we're treating each other that we shouldn't be. But to repeat that again: But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, keep those last two verses from 1 John 1 in mind, or Write them down on a notepad if you're able to, because I will be revisiting them later on. Or you'll come to understand where I'm going with this. Now, last year, and I want to say it was uh, back in April of 2021 to be exact, I was in prayer one morning, and the Lord began speaking to me that he desires the proper attire at his wedding feast. Now, at the time... The Innocence Redeemed podcast had not just yet begun. But Glinda saw the blog I wrote, and she had me on shortly after I posted that message to do a show about having on the proper wedding garments. And so if you haven't heard that episode yet, I recommend checking it out. But in the interest of time, and for the purpose of this podcast on refinement, I'm going to share the message the Lord gave to me once more. The Lord said, Tell my people I desire them to be dressed in the proper garments for my wedding feast. Many of my children have chosen not to hear, not to see. They do not make time for me. They could know my way for them, but they choose not. They are too blinded by worldly pleasures to understand I am all they need. Many of my people would have so much of what I desire if they would only seek my instruction, do my will, and spend time in my presence. My son, because you have made the time for me, you know my word. I am established in your heart for every time you study it, it is written. You have endured so much that you already have in your heart what I desire for you and how you live. For it is me working within you and providing your direction. It is through your faith in me you are living my word and living my ways. I would desire all of my children would do this. Many of my children are looking for answers but are not willing to submit to my refining. My son, though you show much mercy, you cannot do this for them. They can have as much of me as is desired, but they must choose. Many would have my blessing if they chose to believe my word for what it says. Those who truly desire my presence will continue to seek me, and they shall find, for I will reveal myself. I desire they be dressed in the proper attire, but they have not made enough time by cutting out the distractions and making time to understand. You must tell them my son for you have been there and can explain it in such a way that can be understood those who do not have on the proper attire for the wedding feast shall not enter and now the wedding feast for those who are not understanding can be read about and illustrated when studying the book of matthew specifically in chapter 22 verses 1 through 14 and then chapter 25 when it comes to the foolish bridesmaids without oil in their lamps in verses 1 through 13 I'm not going to go into great detail on the wedding feast, as I've already covered this in the Wedding Attire podcast, but understand that is what is related to the refining. The Lord is going to have a spotless bride when it comes to any and all who call on him. The bride is us, and he is going to cleanse and blot out any stain on the wedding attire before he calls us home. And by the way, this will not be the only message I share that the Lord gave to me. I will be sharing another one as it applies to refinement in this late hour. This should actually make anyone listening happy, because it means he loves you enough he doesn't want a dirty, stinky bride coming to the wedding feast. He wants us all well-dressed, which means living for him and in his ways prior to that wedding. That invitation has been going out for a while now, and so in other words, we are to be presentable to him, just as we would present ourselves and conduct ourselves in an actual wedding we would attend. We can't be presentable to him if we're living in ways that are contrary to how his word teaches us we should live as Christians. You know, let's use laundry as an example. You wouldn't show up at your best friend's wedding looking like a slob. (laughs) You know, that's putting it bluntly. When we have a shirt, or, you know, for you ladies, maybe it's a dress that's stained or maybe well past its use and you can't get it clean. What do you often do? Well, I mean, if you're like me, you're going to go out and get a new one, right? I mean, at least I hope you would. You know, you're going to toss out the old and bring in the new. It's the same premise when it comes to the Lord's refining. He isn't going to throw us out, per se, because he loves us too much. But if our hearts are not where they need to be in accordance to his ways, he's going to put us through the ultimate dry cleaning cycle and scrub thoroughly all the dirt and filth off our hearts that he doesn't like until it's to his liking. He's going to replace what's messed up, what's stained. In other words, he's going to show those who think they're okay that they're not okay and that they need to go back to the cleaners. Put simply, he's going to refine the areas of the heart that need work. You know, You could look at it in such a way where it applies to fine metals such as silver or gold. You know, these are metals which are considered a high value. And so to put that into perspective, aren't you worth more than a precious metal in the eyes of the Lord? You see, once you understand his love, which is one of the reasons why I pray that people experience it, you understand his purpose of refining. I'm going to read you guys a sermon called The Refiner's Fire. The story is told of a group of women that met for Bible study. While studying the book of Malachi, chapter three, they came across verse three, which says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. This verse puzzled the women and they wondered how this statement applied to the character and nature of God. One of the women offered to find out more about the process of refining silver and to get back to the group at their next Bible study. The following week, the woman called up a silversmith and made an appointment to watch him while at work. She didn't mention anything about the reason for her interest, beyond her curiosity, about the process of refining silver. As she watched the silversmith work, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire, where the flames were the hottest, so as to burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot, Then she thought again about the verse, that he sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the entire time the silver was being refined. The man answered, yes, that not only did he have to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on it the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left even a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, but how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered, oh, that's easy, when I see my image in it. See where that's going, guys? And so we relate the refining of the silver to the following scriptures. Isaiah 48, verse 10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And another word for affliction is suffering. Malachi 3, verse 3. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Psalm 66 verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. Now keep in mind the word test, because I'm going to get more into that later on. Zechariah 13 verses 8 through 9. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, This is my people, and each one will say, The Lord is my God. Note those words from Zechariah 13:9. I will bring one third through the fire. I will refine them. I will test them. Then, when we look back at Zechariah 13:8, where the word says, Two-thirds will be cut off and die. Guys, think about that for a moment. Before you complain about the refining, although it may be painful, consider it is a blessing that you're worthy of being refined. You know, some people They're called time and time again and refuse to submit to the Lord's refining and repent or work with him. They're choosing their own way. And so they're not just rejecting his love, but belief that he won't do what he tells us he will do in his word. Some of these have been given over to their sin and have become reprobate. And you know, that's a big deal. The two-thirds that will be cut off and die are the ones who would not heed the Lord's calling to submit to him. They rejected him. You know, if you're being refined, consider it the Lord's mercy. Like I said earlier, that is his love for you, because in all that's coming, you don't want to be part of that two thirds who don't belong to him because they have continuously rebelled or mocked and scoffed. And this is why I've told you before to intercede for those who are lost, including those you love, even if they hurt you. You know, the Lord is being patient for their sakes, and he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he's speaking louder and louder about those who have heard the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ but continue to live contrary, as well as treat others contrary to what his word decrees we should. That's part of the rejection, if you're not living in his ways. And in a time where judgments are beginning to take place, it's not a good place to be, so keep praying even if you're going through a refinement yourself. The Lord cares very much for those who don't know him. And he loves them far more than you can even fathom. He loves all of us more than we can imagine. And speaking of his love, I quote Ephesians 3.18, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Now, do you remember when the silversmith said to the woman in regards to the silver he was refining, when he said, when I see my image in it? That essentially means in the biblical context, when the Lord has renewed our hearts and our minds and we are living by his ways, we are living his decrees. That is when Jesus sees more of himself in us and in our life and our lifestyles alike are rooted in him. Do y'all remember when I talked about integrity or in other words, you know, doing the right thing? And do you remember the times I talked about loving others and caring for them, showing mercy? Do you remember all the times I talked about how faith without works is dead? All of the New Testament has directions about proper living, and I have taught on many of these. That is the abiding I was talking about, whether they are in regards to love for others and showing of mercy or living as instructed by the Twelve Apostles. Abiding in Jesus and the Word are the Lord's instructions for every Christian. I've said before, that if you're living contrary to the word, or your behavior is not in line with what the word teaches, then you're not living in accordance to the Lord's word. Essentially, you're only halfway abiding in him. And he said he does not want us lukewarm. Think about it in terms of someone you love. Do you want them to only love you halfway? No, of course not. You know, you, if, if you love somebody, you want them to love you at least is equally in return, am I right? And so a refining, it's purifying that. You know, you might be doing well in one area, but not the other. And so that's what it's about. It's smoothing out the rough edges so that you are in a walk closer to him. And so your heart and way of thinking are in line with what Jesus and his apostles taught throughout the gospel. Remember, nobody is perfect. Everyone is a sinner, and everyone falls short of God's glory, so we should not think of ourselves as better than anyone else. In fact, we're told to do the opposite and be honest about ourselves. Romans 12, verses 2-3 through say, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Now, note where Romans 12.2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, you might be sitting there saying, well, I don't act like the world. I don't copy their behaviors. Well, a refinement is going to show you otherwise. It's going to cause you to reflect and change the areas that are impure. And I'm going to lay out some examples that are prominent in the Christian community to show you where you might be being refined. You know, Haggai 1 verse 5 says, Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. One such way to consider is judgment of others. Do you judge others? Now, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, me, never. I'll bet you have in one way or another, and I'll explain. And I've seen this, so I know I can speak to it. Let's talk about judgment in the church for a moment, because this is a big one. And not just in the actual church building, but in the body of Christ. I'm going to tell you all a little story. There's a woman, and we'll call her Allison. She has no friends except for one who is flaky and the little bit of acquaintances she did have from work stopped talking to her when she lost her job due to COVID. She cried out, but nobody wanted to help. Allison has always struggled with her image and has low self-esteem. She's a bit overweight. She has never felt accepted among others. Her parents died 10 years ago, and she sank into a deep depression. Allison sits by herself in her apartment and cries, and she only wants to feel accepted and loved. She's been used and abused by men, and has even gone as far as sexually experimenting with other women. She's willing to almost do anything to feel accepted, to feel loved. She feels like she's never really had it. She's running out of money, she hates her life, and has developed a severe drinking problem to numb the pain. Essentially, she's at the end of herself and has tried every method to feel loved and accepted among others. Late one night, When she can't sleep, Allison finds a podcast talking about the love of Jesus and wants to know more about him. She begins to feel hopeful and has the hope that she can join a local church. The clothes she has aren't the best, and she hasn't been able to afford to even get her hair done before going to church. She only knows that she wants to hear more about Jesus and possibly even make some new friends who will encourage and help her. You know, friends who won't judge her by the way she looks, or judge her when she confesses her sins she feels guilty about, as she learned doing when she heard the sermon on the podcast. As much as she struggles with her low self-esteem, she gets up on Sunday morning, puts on jeans and a t-shirt, and because she lost her car due to a repossession, has to take the city bus to get to this church she came to learn of. She spends the last little bit of money she has to get there via the bus. Allison arrives at the church and takes a seat in the auditorium. As she sits there, the music makes her start to tear up. A group of women are standing in the hallway outside the auditorium near the open doors. And they're eyeing her up and down and whispering to each other. Did you hear I think in just, Oh, God, how dare she show up to church like this? You know, stuff like that. Because Allison is near the rear door of the auditorium, due to not wanting to stick out like a sore thumb, she happens to overhear the group of ladies making comments about her hair and how inappropriately she's dressed. One of them says, Go talk to her. The other responds and says, No way, I'm not going to go talk to her. She looks like a rag doll and she's dressed like a whore. I mean, look, there's holes in her jeans. Who does she think she is to show up to church service like this? You know, Allison wants to stick around for service. But she leaves because before the service begins, she already feels defeated and unaccepted. She doesn't feel she can talk to anyone. And the service hasn't even begun yet. Long story short, Allison says to herself, forget it, leaves abruptly, and goes home. She tries one last attempt to text her flighty unavailable friend in her distress, and the person reads the message but doesn't answer. The flighty friend gets around to checking back with her two days later, but unfortunately, That very night, after the incident at church, and not getting her text returned, Allison finished off a bottle of whiskey, took sleeping pills, and lay down on the sofa, never to wake up again. Her friend, her flighty friend, who identifies as a Christian, only checks back after the two days, and only after Allison never texted her again. Now, you might think this is an extreme example, but the truth is there are incidents similar to this that happen all the time. Mind you how Allison was treated, the same as when someone ignores another person who they know is in need. You know, not to get too far off course here, but I've had that happen to me so many times, I've lost count. And, you know, in this day of tech, some like to use each and every excuse they can to avoid, because they think they can hide behind a phone or a computer. But I tell you, it doesn't change the fact that it's downright rude. I mean. That's the same as slamming the door in someone's face. Put yourself in that person's shoes. If they haven't done anything wrong to you, why would you do that? Jesus didn't slam the door in our faces when we came to him as sinners, so why do we think it's okay to do it to someone he desires to save? Or let's say they're saved, but just need some encouragement. You know, we need to remember the golden rule of treating others as we would want to be treated. And so often, that is forgotten or many treat others in a one-way fashion. They do it in friendships. They do it in relationships. I've seen it done in different ministries within a church, where the person is only called upon when they're needed. In addition to being rude, it's just plain selfish, and it's certainly not love. In any of these scenarios, would you want to be treated like that? No, of course you wouldn't. So why would you do it knowing it has the potential to breed resentment? You know, we're supposed to be unified in the body of Christ, not segregated and brewing resentment, which then leads to bitterness. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. That includes addressing a problem you might have with someone. Matthew 5, specifically verses 23-25 through say, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. In other words, is God going to hear our prayer if we're acting prideful and unwilling to reconcile all the while causing resentment? Think about that for a moment. Because many like to just sweep a problem or an uncomfortable situation under the rug not realizing the importance of getting it out on the table and resolving it. You know, that causes the other person to become resentful and feel dismissed, which then causes that root of bitterness to grow up in them, which is contrary to what Hebrews twelve fifteen says, which I just quoted a moment ago. You know, it's doing the opposite of the word, ensuring that if when it happens enough, it will cause the root of bitterness to grow up. So you see how that contradicts the Lord's word? It causes unnecessary heartache and strife. You want to be sure that you're doing the right thing. Because if you don't, then it's a sense of pride. And the sad reality is that it's completely avoidable. Now, obviously, if it's lying or manipulation, that's another story. But still, if you're unsure, the best thing to do is pray for guidance. You know, let me tell you, you will get an answer as long as you're persistent in prayer. And I'm going to get more into anger in a moment, but you need to understand that these types of prideful actions breed strife. You know, in going back to Allison's case, because she was rejected due to that group of ladies being too good for her, she took her own life, though she was there to receive forgiveness and the grace of God. That was the intention of her heart. And speaking of intentions of the heart, the Lord knows the heart. In each person's intentions, and he will test his people on integrity. Consider your ways, my friends. Consider your ways. You know, it's written, and you will be tested. And if you keep failing that test, you will go into the refining fire. Now, although Allison is a fictional character, as it pertains to the purpose of my demonstrations here today, the reality is here, her story is not too far off from what many men and women experience. Everything that she experienced in this scenario are stories that I have heard from others. Let me just tell you that. All the lost are looking for is acceptance and forgiveness, and they never get to experience it because they are sent away canceled and rejected. Once again, like I said, consider how you would feel if that were done to you. Cancel culture is prevalent enough in our society, all right? It does not need to be taking place in the body of Christ. If you're doing that to someone, if you're judging them, or if you're gossiping about them, repent. And don't think that you are beyond the Lord placing you in a situation to make it happen so you will learn the error of your ways. You know, going back to how Allison was treated in the Lord's own house, how do you suppose he looks at that? Do you believe he's going to smile on those three women standing there, having their coffee clutch, who had an ability to affect how she felt? They could have went and prayed with her or encouraged her, but instead they stood there giggling and gossiping about her when they know nothing about her? You know, they're going to have to give an account for that. Three sins come into play here among these ladies in the church. Gossip, which includes mocking and slander, and then there's the pride and the judgment all of which the Lord frowns upon. James 1 verse 26 says, If you claim to be religious but you don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. James 4 verse 11 says, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. James 4 verse 11 says, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. Leviticus 19 verse 16 says, You shall not go about as a talebearer bearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Now you might say, well, what about Allison? Because, you know, there's always the, the ones who like to finger point and use scripture against those to try to take the focus off them. You know, what about Allison? Doesn't Ecclesiastes 7.21 say not to eavesdrop? Yes, it does. But remember, Allison was attempting to come to the faith. So she didn't understand those things yet. You know, as men and women of God, we have a responsibility sometimes to keep our mouths shut. You know, it goes along with the saying, if you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. You know, that's a principle I learned from a very young age. I don't care who you are. Not one person has had a perfect life and has the right to judge another. You know, get the speck out of your own eye before casting the stone unto another person. And, you know, you would think a mature group of women may act more godly than that, but you'd be surprised. You know, this clique high school mentality and social circles exist where one considers themselves above another, and it's appalling because it's contradictory to what the word teaches. And whether these ladies knew it or not, They were fulfilling the word from 2 Timothy 3 verse 5, which says in the last days they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. We're not to have anything to do with somebody who acts that way. And further on the subject of gossip, as it applies here, any one of these ladies could have been faithful. And again, welcomed Allison to church. But because they scoffed at her, you know, she left feeling alienated. And any promotion the Lord may have assigned to any of these women was just forfeited. Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 10, If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. If you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. So when they gossiped about Allison, they were lying to themselves. And they were lying in the presence of the Lord, because where two or more are gathered, there is the presence of the Lord. I mean, guys, I've heard stories of pastors even doing it. You know, a person, be it a man or a woman, may approach the pastor after service and confide in them a sin they struggle with or they're trying to break free from. And you'd be surprised how the pastor will say something simple like, well, you just shouldn't do this or that. And so the person leaves feeling dismissed and alienated. And they never return because they already feel judged. You know, maybe... In, in another case, a person stuck around. They might have heard someone talking about it. They said, fair enough, whatever. I'm just going to stick around and I'll talk to the pastor afterwards. But then they deal with that too. Because that does happen. I've, I've heard two different stories that that's happened to people I've known. That is highly unacceptable. So what does the word say about judging others? Well, let's take a look at Romans 2, verses 1 through 8. You may think you can condemn such people. But you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you away from your sin? But, because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But... He will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. Judgment in the body of Christ is a very serious problem, guys. Very serious. Especially now, with so many in despair and wanting to come to repentance, only to be turned away from churches or Christian communities. Because a judgment is made about that person before they can so much as even feel welcomed into the family of God and utter a word. That person may not have anyone else to turn to. And so they go to where they feel they will be accepted. What's going to happen when they're rejected there too? You know, in Allison's case, she went home and took her own life. And in this season, there's a lot of people doing that. Be aware of your ways and consider thy ways. You know, if you think that the Lord does not see it when you treat someone like that, you need to remember that he does. And by the way, that's all part of the integrity I talked about not long ago. And you will remember you were told. I would advise you strongly that if you're living in that way, that you humble yourself and again, repent. Because we don't have time for that nonsense. Remember too that when you judge someone, you are attempting to take the place of God and somewhat making yourself your own idol. Remember, the Lord is a very jealous God, and he's not going to tolerate one who attempts to exalt his or herself over him. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And By the way, that consuming fire will refine you. Judgment and vengeance belong to him, not us. Judgment comes out of pride, and if you have a prideful attitude, Remember that the Lord hates pride, and in fact, his word says so. Taking a look at Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, person who sows discord in a family. Note verse 17 there, the second part of it. Haughty eyes and a lying tongue. Pride and lies. What does haughty mean? The definition of haughty is scornfully and condescendingly proud, arrogant, disdainfully or contemptuously proud. You know, in layman terms, it's those that think The waste byproduct that comes out of the rear end doesn't stink. If you act like that, I got news for you. Yes, it does stink, and your attitude leaves much to be desired. Remember, Matthew 6 verse 23 says, If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Pride is one of those people often do not realize until it does great damage, not only to themselves, but others. Pride is also a product of anger and bitterness. That's why I'm talking about all these. And these are areas, especially the Lord is going to refine. The reason the Lord does not like pride, when you stop and think about it, is because by being prideful, you think you're better than him. You think you have the answers to everything. You think you have a sense of entitlement to judge others and condemn others. You see yourself as someone who thinks they don't sin. And that you're better than everyone else you know the lord sees that as in you are attempting to do his job for him and he'll show you how quickly the buck stops with him if you're doing that his word says he will be the one who judges and i just read that from romans 2 a moment ago if you're contrary to him in that way you can surely expect a refining in that area like a precious metal And he will melt you down in a crucible so far and humble you under people you can't stand until you get it. Remember Proverbs 16, verse 18 Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Some have an element of pride worse than others. And depending on how deep that pride is rooted will depend on the amount of refining the Lord decides is necessary. But at the end of the day, pride is pride. It's detestable to the Lord. And he will refine that like nobody's business. You know, since we're in the last days and refinement relates to the bride, let's take a look at Revelation 3 verse 18. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by the fire. Remember the silversmith. Then you will be rich. That is rich in the Lord's grace. Also, this is speaking of the wedding garments. Also, Buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. That is, see what he is showing you. See what you're doing wrong and repent. So you are spotless before him, and you're not naked and ashamed. You don't want to be caught naked and ashamed. You don't want to be caught without oil in your lamp like the foolish virgins. You've all heard the saying, the emperor has no clothes. And it's the same... For those who think they're beyond refining, the Lord's going to bring you to your knees one way or the other, so you can either submit to the refining willfully by realizing where you're wrong and work with Him, or He'll do it for you in ways you won't like. The choice is yours. So if any of what I'm saying today gets your attention, consider that His warning to submit to Him, because if you resist, you will only make it more difficult on yourself. You know, one way or another, He's going to take you through it if He has a plan for you. He knows who can be saved and what's required to get it done. Remember, he will sit like a refiner of silver making it pure, removing the iniquities, the impurities. The Lord knows more about us than we think we know of ourselves. And in a refinement, you will have plenty of time to reflect on matters of the heart and consider your ways. Let me tell you, I went through that in the wilderness, so I'm telling you all for your own good submit to him. Do not resist the Lord. That is my best advice for anyone and everyone. Now, I touched on bitterness and resentment a little bit earlier, but let me come back around to that. What's another thing the Lord doesn't like? Anger. Anger is the opposite of love and mercy, because if you are angry all the time, you're not likely about the Lord's business when it comes to love for others and being merciful to them. And anger doesn't just stem from nowhere. It comes from pride. And jealousy goes hand in hand with it. You know, if you're jealous, it's because you're angry that someone has something or someone in their life that you don't. You know, that's a form of coveting, and it can stem out of control, especially if manipulation, which is a fancier word for lying, is part of it. And if that's the case, that too will be refined. And one of the ways the Lord will create the conviction is to set up a situation for you to be caught in in which you're caught in the lie, and that's to show you your sin. And it's usually something bigger than just a simple exaggeration. There are many other ways, but that's just one way he can do it. You know, both of these, jealousy and lying, are laid out in Exodus 20, verses 16 through 17, where God says, you shall not bear a false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You know, instead of an ox, it could be a car. You can put it in terms as they relate today. Note, it is anything that is your neighbor's. And no, it doesn't have to be your neighbor next door. It's anyone or anything else. It could be a friendship. It could be a business partner. It doesn't matter. If it's something you are jealous of and it's causing bitterness within you, then it's a form of coveting and it's the spirit of pride and it's wrong. It's a sin. So when you are breaking one of the Ten Commandments, that is first and foremost before any other scripture. You know, those are the rules God established. Those are his commandments. Those are his commands. And if you recall earlier i quoted proverbs 6 verse 17 where pride and a lying tongue are two things out of the seven the lord detests now further on jealousy we look to james chapter 3 specifically verses 13 through 18. if you are wise and understand god's ways prove it by living an honorable life doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So you see, those verses I just read from James chapter 3 contrast the difference of what is demonic and unspiritual versus what is righteous in God's eyes. If you are bitterly jealous and angry all the time or doing things to throw others under the bus and a stirrer of strife, which is also related to not being able to control your tongue then you aren't living righteously and you will be refined over the fire. You know, once again, remember the verses I quoted from Romans 2 earlier concerning judgment of others and how merciful the Lord is or has been with you. Again, it goes hand in hand with anger and jealousy. You know, often a person who has a struggle with the spirit of pride can't usually even see it that it stems from jealousy, which breeds resentment and bitterness, which I talked about earlier. They'll say, I am not jealous. Okay, you're being prideful. How am I being prideful? You're being prideful because you don't even see the problem you have. You're upset about something. You have a deep-rooted problem that you need to come clean on, that you need to confess, that you need healing. You know, while I was working on this podcast, it came to me that I might even do something on holes in the heart. Because I believe that there's a lot of people who are discovering holes in their heart, and they're having a lot of time to reflect, especially if they're sitting alone right now. But you know, that resentment, that bitterness, that can manifest as judgment if it's left unchecked. And that's why, you know, I've talked extensively about them today. It is one area the Lord is going to refine you in. I want to read to you all a sermon titled, Bitter or Better, which I found on Sermon Central. Dr. Jim Moore, pastor of St. Luke's University Medical Center in Houston, wrote a book entitled You Can Grow Bitter or You Can Grow Better. He writes that he got the idea for the title from a young woman who once came to him in the most tragic moment in her life. She had tears in her eyes, and her knuckles were white as she twisted a handkerchief. She had just received word that her 26-year-old husband had been killed in a farming accident, leaving her alone with three preschool-aged children. One moment he was alive and vibrant, the next moment gone. Quote, I don't know how I'm going to be able to get along without him, she sobbed, but I do know one thing, I can either get bitter or I can get better. One way that we can get better rather than bitter is to develop a thankful heart. We must learn to be grateful to the Lord with whom we shall spend eternity. Our morning prayer should always begin, O thou who has given me so much, I pray that you give me yet one more thing, a grateful heart. And it's true. You know, we can be bitter or better, and a refinement, though it can seem harsh, will make you better. You know, the Lord guarantees it because he promises it to us. And I'll get to that shortly, but going back to the sermon I just got done reading, it does us well to focus on what to be thankful for, rather than to be focused on what makes us unhappy or leading us into bitterness. You know, the saying is true, you could always be worse off. So remember to give thanks for what you do have, including those you love. You know, that's probably something all of us could do better on, quite honestly, especially when things aren't going so well in our world we live right now. Now is a good time to begin putting giving thanks into practice, given that everything in the world is on a hair trigger, and we never know from one day to the next when it will be our last. All of you are aware of the war drums. And that's all I'm going to say about that, as I've already covered it. I'm going to read you another sermon. And this one was written by Curry Pickhart, and it's taken from a scene in the famous motion picture Forrest Gump, which I'm sure by now many of you have seen. And the title of it is called, Sometimes There Aren't Enough Rocks. In the movie Forrest Gump, Forrest has a lifetime friendship with Jenny. In one scene, when both of them are grown, and Jenny is just beginning to retreat from her lifestyle of sex and drugs. They are walking down a dirt road. Soon, they come to the shack where Jenny lived as a little girl, the shack where she experienced abuse as a child. As they come up to it, her face contorts with hatred and anger. She reaches down, picks up a rock, and flings it toward the shack. It chips off some of the already deteriorating paint. She picks up another rock and fires again, this time crashing through an already broken window. She picks up and hurls another, and another, and another. Finally, she falls exhausted to the ground. Forrest gazes down at her and says, I guess sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. There was more to what Forrest said than what he probably knew. Surely she could have thrown stones all day and never destroyed the shack. That was obvious. But not so obvious was the deeper meaning of the scene. Throwing stones all day would never abolish the abuse or demolish the effects of it. Throwing stones would never bring her torment, her agony, her misery, and her anguish to the ground. And we've been there. We've all thrown stones, at situations, at people, at memories. And it's never relieved the agony, destroyed the misery, or lessened our anguish. It has never eased our torment. So, Jenny's question is ours. When throwing stones won't cut it, what do we do? And you know, it's true. Is holding on to bitterness really going to change anything? You know, it's much the same way as worrying endlessly. Staying angry doesn't change anything, it adds no cubit of stature to your life. Forgive those who hurt you. You gain nothing from staying angry and bitter, it only holds you back. You know, Matthew chapter 5. Verses 43 through 45 say, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Remember, brothers and sisters, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And you know, speaking of which, I got a question for you all. When you say the Our Father prayer, how many of you put into practice where it says, forgive us as we forgive those who sinned against us? Because if you say that prayer, then you live it. And that is abiding in the Lord and his word. Not just paying him lip service when you say it and expecting him to forgive you, but then you won't forgive others. You know, it doesn't work in a one-way fashion, just saying So to begin wrapping up, a refining is any of these areas which are all part of the same spirit of pride. And it will be shown to that person in sin so that the Lord may purify his child like a fine metal or cleanse you with a strong bleach in order to get you ready for uniting with him and also to get you ready to be used for any good work the Lord is going to have you do. You know, he's sending many workers into the field. He could be refining you to get you ready to, you know, serve him and get more people into his kingdom. But he can't use you if you're a clay instrument that can be molded by the world and you're living in worldly ways. You know, he's going to purge that out first. And to reference this point, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 20 through 21, which say, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver. You know, that's the refined precious metals. And some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are used for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the Master to use you for every good work. So that said, some of you are being refined in this season to be used for the Lord's glory. And some of you may be going home to be with the Lord soon. Whatever the case may be, it is best to submit to him and his refining in whichever way he's doing it. And if you have a conviction that you have took part in any of the sins I've mentioned today, you know, be quick to confess those to the Lord. Remember the word of 1 John 1 verse 9. As I mentioned earlier, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Someone who believes they have done no wrong is lying to themselves and lying to God. And that will be one of the things he will show you so that you will humble yourself and repent. And like I said earlier, he is not beyond placing his children in difficult or uncomfortable situations to show them their pride, so that they will submit to his refining in order to be called worthy of being his. Acts chapter 14 verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them, that is, exhorting is getting getting your act together, to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And that's it right there, brothers and sisters. The Lord is purifying and getting his people ready to come home. He is refining out the impurities he does not condone, that are not of him. And it is up to each of us to submit to his refining and live for him and be about his business each and every day. How do you submit to him? Well, you humble yourselves. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Most think of 1 Peter 5, verse 6, as it pertains to prayer, and it does. But in the instance of refinement, it's all about humbling oneself and seeking the Lord's direction, which is why the word humble is used. Humbling oneself is the opposite of being prideful and going on in your own way. That is, you know, your own way being your sin. It is a submission to Jesus, asking for forgiveness and asking him to show you where he needs you to improve. Remember, Jesus said, and this is citing Matthew 12, verse 30, Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Brothers and sisters, you do not want to be working against the Lord in this season. I'll just tell you that right now. In all that you see currently taking place, your priority first and foremost should be putting Jesus first and abiding in his ways. James 4, verses 7-10 through So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Y'all remember what I said? Earlier, about being lukewarm. Moving on to verse 9, still in James 4. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Refinement can be used by trials during our walk. The amount of refining required just depends upon what the Lord is purifying in our walk. It is used to cleanse the sin and refine our faith in areas where it's lacking, which is what the Lord desires. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7 through seven say, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials, now remember the, the gold and the fire, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Remember what I said earlier. Remember what I said earlier about you being more precious to the Lord than even the finest precious metal. But, you know, let me start that over again. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And still in 1 Peter 1, if we jump forward to verse 13, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Let me repeat that one more time. 1 Peter 1, verse 15. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Let's take a look also at Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 13. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has sent before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. And, you know, I'll tell you one thing just to, uh, just to put this on pause for a moment as far as Hebrews 12. Patience is a big one. A lot of us are being refined. I'm being personally refined in patience right now, guys. And it's, <laughs> you know, I... It is not always easy, but you have to endure. Going on in verse 4, After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Remember I said in the beginning of this podcast that it's because he loves you, he's refining you? Going on in verse 7, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. So, be thankful he disciplines you. Because if you have no shame or you have no guilt, then it could be a sign that he's given you over to your sin. And that's a sign of the reprobate. You know, a reprobate is essentially someone who has fought and rebelled against the Lord continuously. And eventually, he gives them over to their sin because they willfully enjoy it more than they love him. You know, it's one thing to mess up. I mean, like I said before, no one's perfect. But it's what's actually in your heart. And the Lord knows the intentions of everyone's heart. That is why the moment you sin, you should confess and ask the Lord to help you overcome it. Get in the habit of doing that. Because if you are actively trying, he does see that. And I can speak to that having lived it in the wilderness, guys. You know, it can be done. And the Lord does meet you where you are. Keep praying regardless. You know, one of the things the enemy tries to do is to get you to give up. Don't believe the enemy, guys. No, Satan's a liar. Moving on in verse 9, still in Hebrews 12. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. And what that means is essentially what I just said. When it says mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. Because the enemy is going to try to wear you down. That's another thing that happens. When you're going through a refinement, the enemy will will try to seize the opportunity. Continue to pray. You will become strong. Keep praying. Keep taking up your cross and following Jesus no matter what. Keep your focus on him. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what it's all about. A peaceful harvest of right living. Living for Jesus. Praying that you are counted worthy to escape these coming tribulations. You know, they're setting up as was prophesied. You know, that's part of the refining every one of us is experiencing in one way or another. And folks, that's where I'm going to end it today. Brothers and sisters, it's my prayer that you have all got something valuable out of this podcast and understanding out of this teaching today and how to apply it in your lives. Be sure to stay tuned for the next episode of the Refinement Series, where I will be talking about more behaviors that the Lord is refining in his merciful love for us. I will also be sharing a few more messages the Lord has given to me that pertain to this series, so be sure to subscribe as you don't want to miss those. Stay strong in your faith, keep your eyes on Jesus, and keep praying. Jesus blessed you. Thanks for listening. Y'all take care of yourselves out there, and have a great week.